The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. And if you have your Bibles, let's open them to the book of Acts, chapter 13. And what we want to remember is we're not just studying about what God did a long time ago, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he's done in the past, he can do today. And he can do for you and me. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, pray and ask that now the Holy Spirit will minister to our hearts. May we hear what the Spirit has to say to us as a congregation. Lord, we welcome those who are listening on radio, those who are watching online, those who are in their homes, those who are here this evening. Lord, as we prepare to begin uh, this month with communion at the end of the service, may the love of Jesus Christ and the grace of God be shed abroad in our hearts. And may we be truly set free as we've never been set free before. In Jesus' wonderful, mighty name we pray and ask all these things. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so we're in the final verses, Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 52. And now the church is beginning to impact the community, and it's beginning to grow and literally beginning to have revival. In fact, that's the bullet point for number one in our outline, the beginning of a revival. Look at me beginning in verse 42. It says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So last week we talked about, you know, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, and they had gone to a synagogue, and they would have some scriptures uh, from the Old Testament, then from the prophets, they would have some time of prayer, then they would ask maybe an educated uh, Jewish visitor, if they had some word, that was their custom. And so Paul said, I have a word for the congregation. And he goes, I wanna share my message. So last week we went through the sermon of Paul. I got to preach, or Paul got to preach through our time going through it. It was a beautiful message saying that the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah have been fulfilled. His name is Jesus of Nazareth who just in Israel, you've probably heard throughout the Roman world, the Jewish world had heard about this man that did miracles exceeding those of Moses and Elijah. No one had done the things Jesus had done. And, and so Paul's really been, been preaching to them. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, notice though the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So there were Gentiles who were in that community, and as Paul is preaching, they're coming to a Jewish synagogue because they've heard about this man who has words of a prophet, a supernatural healer that is from the Holy Land in Jerusalem. And Paul was very powerful. He was very persuasive. Um, and the Gentiles were hungry. They wanted to know more. So, verse 43, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, so the devout proselytes are Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them 
to continue in the grace of God. So Paul has been preaching, and now they, they follow him. I mean, he, he preached such a great sermon, and they were so hungry. There were many Gentiles that were there, uh, and they, they began to follow Paul and Barnabas as they left the service. They walk out of the synagogue, and, and they wanted to follow him, and they wanted him to keep talking, and they were begging for him to share with them more and more and more. This was very, very powerful. Because I think that something was happening in that time in the Roman world. Um, you know, there, there was the Roman Empire. There's called the uh, Pax Romana, which is the Roman peace. They had a military that controlled the world. So they kind of held everything at bay. And people were living their lives. And there was a degree of prosperity. And yet at the same time, there was an inner loneliness, an inner emptiness on the parts of the people that were part of this community. And when they heard the gospel, when they heard about Jesus of Nazareth, when they heard about his miracles, when they heard about his teachings, they were like, that's what we want to know. That's what we need. That's what we're interested in. I believe that we're living in a very similar time in this way uh, you know, we've got a world, we've been thrown into the pandemic, uh, we are going through all of this global turmoil, anxiety, fear, and all the rest of it. It's not life as usual. Things are not normal. And what that has done, it has opened up this emptiness, this space that is inside of people that are saying, which way should we go? What can we put our hopes in? Where can we place our trust? Where is a sense of peace, of a future, or hope, or stability? And into that vacuum, I believe this is the greatest hour and opportunity for us to share with the whole world. If you're lonely, come to Jesus. If you're empty, come to Jesus. If you're confused, come to Jesus. If you need hope, not only for this life, but for all of eternity, come to Jesus. And I believe that many of those who were in the Roman world at that time, they felt that loneliness and that emptiness, but when they heard the word, it was like the floodgates were opened up in their hearts, and they wanted more. But here's a very interesting thing that happened. You, you, where, where did Paul and Barnabas go? They went to the local synagogue. The Jews would have been a minority within that community. But word has now spread. There was a respect for Judaism. There was a respect for the Jewish people. They were very different than the Greek culture or the Roman culture, which, you know, their beliefs and values and ideas of morality were kind of all over the map. And here were these people that said, no, we don't believe in all of your gods and goddesses. But we believe in one God, one supreme being, the creator of all things. And he visited our fathers, and they would share the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, the mighty deliverance out of Egypt. And apparently there were a lot of Gentiles that were drawn or attracted to this very simple one God who is supernatural, overwhelming, all-powerful, all-good with signs and wonders and miracles. 
in their history. And now these guys are saying, hey, it's happening again with the Jewish people. So you had all of these Romans and all of these Greek culture people coming in and they're attracted to what's happening. And they're, they're crowding into the synagogue service. Well, for the Jewish people who were there, some of them, the religious people, they're looking over their shoulder going, what are all these Gentiles doing here? They looked down on them. They didn't really like them. Uh, you know, they, they were uncouth. They, they were immoral. Uh, they were living, you know, lives after gods and goddesses. They weren't faithful in their marriages. There was a lot of things that were... So the Jewish people are, are feeling this extreme uncomfortableness. And there is a shift that is really beginning to go on. But this is the beginning of revival. Now, I remember back in the, in the Jesus people days, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and I really believe that what ignited the Jesus people move of God and the revival was the Six-Day War in Israel in 1967. In that war, who's ever heard of a war the last six days? Literally, at the end of six days, the world was begging Israel to stop because they were taking over you know, land, they'd taken over Jerusalem, they'd taken over the Temple Mount, and they just said, stop, stop, stop. So Israel said, okay, it was a miracle. And that's when prophecy began to be talked about all over the world is, wow, it's one thing that Israel became a nation, but they really didn't have Jerusalem. They had half of it, but the half they had had zero holy sites. It was the other half that had 100% of the holy sites. And then after six days, Israel said, now we've got the whole thing. And that began to, you know, people started talking like, could this be the sign of the coming of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was a, you know, one church up the road, up in Orange County named Calvary Chapel and the pastor, my pastor, Chuck Smith. And all of a sudden there was this young hippie guy named Lonnie Frisbee that was quite the evangelist. He started going, you know, to the beaches and the halfway houses and people on the street and said, and he kind of dressed like Jesus. He actually, he got long hair, he wore a toga and kind of cruised around <laughs> Like he was John the Baptist or something. And he was a very dynamic guy. He'd go, you need Jesus, you know, and he'd pray for people and miracles would happen, different things. And he says, you need to go to church. And they're like, oh, okay. So here was a little tiny church and suddenly dozens and then hundreds and then literally thousands of young people started coming into the church. And guess what? You know, at first the, the church people were like, oh, this is kind of exciting. But then the, the ones that were coming in, the hippies, uh, if you remember back in those days, they didn't always wear shoes and they would come into the church barefooted. Uh, they didn't, you know, bathing was like maybe once every couple of weeks, maybe. And they were very free. And then they would walk in the hippies into church and they wouldn't sit in the pews, but they would sit on the floor right up here, Indian style, like, oh man, this is cool. And some of the church people were like, no, this is not right. We shouldn't do that. And then finally, there would be little crowds of them that would come in and they would take up a whole little section of a bunch of college age kids or whatever. And people sitting around them, the church people go, what is that sweet smell that we notice around them? You know, they were on marijuana. So it's, it, it created a problem. 
And the church people came to Chuck and they said, we got a problem. And they said, we, you know, look, they're coming in. They need to, you know, could they take a bath? Could they cut their hair? Could they put some shoes on? I mean, literally, we don't have them. Uh, but Chuck, the pews that he had, have, had the little communion things where you could put the little cup. Have you ever seen those? <laughs> so one guy, one elder that got bent out of shape, he saw one of the guys sitting, he was sitting in a pew, which was nice, but he kind of had his big toe put up into the communion holder. And he's like, oh, you know. <laughs> and we're like, we've got to get Chuck. They got it. Look, we want to get this generation saved but they need to take a bath, they need to cut their hair, they need to put shoes on, they need to get dressed right, and you know, he went through all, they went through all of this stuff. And Pastor Chuck said, no. No, what do you mean no? They're gonna ruin the carpet. He goes, let them ruin the carpet. They said, well, well, but, but Chuck, this isn't right. Some of them are coming in and they're high, and this and that, and he goes, yeah, well, he goes, I've learned something. As Jesus taught us to be fishermen, we, our nets are overflowing like they've never overflown before. You know, it, it, we have all these fish. And he said, what the Lord said is, before you clean the fish, you have to catch the fish. Once you catch the fish, then they can be clean. And some of those scruffy, smelly, barefooted, crazy, drugged hippies are now pastors of Calvary Chapel all across the nation today. <laughs> what happened? God caught their hearts. And then God cleaned them up. So I would love, how many of you would love to see a brand new revival? Okay, so here's the deal. We gotta be willing to bring and to invite and not get offended if every kind of weird person you could ever dream or imagine suddenly gets drawn to this place. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. Okay, well, let's go on to verses 46 and 47. The lesson of fearing God more than fearing man. Verse 46. Um... 42, no, actually verse 44, I didn't finish reading all. So on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Wow, the whole, almost, the whole city said, you gotta be on Saturday, on the Sabbath, in this place, these guys are legit. And they're gonna blow your mind. The whole place came together, but when the Jews... So that would be the religious people saw the multitudes. They were excited and welcoming and they just couldn't wait for everybody. No, that's not what it says. They were filled with envy. Why are they getting all the attention? And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Now that's interesting. They got mad. God's going fishing. God's bringing Gentiles into the church. That's why God raised Israel up. They're the chosen people, not so they could remain the chosen people. They're the chosen people so they could believe in Jesus, bring Jesus through the Jewish people, and then bring the whole world. God said that through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This was God's plan. And they're annoyed and envious. And when it says they're blaspheming, they're cussing. 
Because God brought all these people that are unsaved into the synagogue. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. Okay? So they get threatened. God's doing a revival. God's bringing fish in. And what was the response? The Paul and Barnabas said, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't mean to upset the local Jewish people. We'll move on to the next town. No. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. And they said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you, our Jewish brothers, first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you, the Jewish people, as a light to the Gentiles. In other words, you're supposed to be bringing in the Gentiles. And that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, God is using you. Do you guys realize the Jewish people, God has used the Jewish people in Israel so that he could attract the attention of all the empty, lonely people in the Gentile world, the Roman world, to say, we need what you Jews have. And what we have, what the Jews had was the Messiah. They had Jesus Christ. And I love that. It's beautiful. It's powerful. So the lesson... You know, how did Paul and Barnabas respond? They were not going to bow to the pressure. But literally, they wanted uh, to know that God was speaking to them and he was with them. So look with me now in verses 48. It says, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. This is beautiful. It says, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit." I love this because as they went out and as they're preaching and they're sharing the gospel, uh, God is giving to them the word. I want you to look with me at, uh, let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Now let's read this out loud. Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So basically what Paul is saying is that God has appointed and he has ordained those who will be saved. Literally, in the Bible, we find out that, you know, because we've all heard the gospel. I've shared my testimony with you. I heard it through Billy Graham when I was 10 years old. An invitation was given. I made a decision and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Then as I went to church and I started reading the Bible and becoming a disciple and getting discipled, I learned something I didn't know. And that is that, yes, I heard the gospel. I made a choice to follow Jesus. But I learned from the Bible that even before the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew what was going to come. And therefore, God chose me before I chose him. Jesus said to the disciples who were with him, 
He said, you did not choose me. Well, of course, they would say, well, actually, we did. And I kind of was wrestling with it, and I had to talk to my wife, and then I dropped my nets, and I came to follow you. He goes, yes, I know, but you didn't really choose me. But I chose you. So tonight, at the end of the message, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give the gospel. I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision before we take communion, remembering the broken body that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. That's the good news. Jesus took our punishment for our sins upon his own body, and then he rose from the dead on the third day, stands at the door of your heart and says, if you'll open the door, I will come into you and I will save you and forgive you. I'll give you that opportunity. When you pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, what you will then discover is God always knew that. From before the foundations of the earth were laid, he knew that, he knows everything, and he knows the future, and he knows you inside and out, so he chose you before you chose him. And it's interesting here in Luke 10, 20 that Jesus said, so don't rejoice in this, because the disciples were going out, Jesus said, you guys go do what I did, cast out the demons and all that, and they were doing it, and it was, I mean, I'm sure it was kind of like, wow. You know, I, 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 in the name of Jesus, come out. And here's this demon, you know, and the person is flopping around or whatever, and the demon goes out and like, wow, it's one thing to see Jesus do that, but Peter just did that, or James just did that, or Matthew, in the name of Jesus. And they were kind of like, wow, in awe. But Jesus said, do not rejoice that the demon spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You know what that tells us? There are books in heaven. And what it means that in these books are names written, and those names were written there before you were ever born and before the foundations of the earth were laid. So here's the question. Is your name in the book? Because the only way you get into heaven is if your name is written in that book. You say, well, I don't know if my name is written there or not. And maybe I won't give my life to Christ, and I don't know. So people will always say, well, you know, so pastor, what do you think? You know, am I saved or am I not saved? And I go, I don't know. I said, but here's what I do know. I know that if right now you'll bow your head, ask God to forgive you of your sins, receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you'll discover that God already knew that, and he had you, he chose you, even from the beginning, before the foundations of the earth were laid. They go, okay, but on the other hand, if you choose not to accept him, and you reject him, and you remain consistent to resist him, and leave him knocking at the door of your heart, you're like, no, 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 never, well, then you'll probably find out he knew that too. Do you see what I'm saying? What it comes back to, we don't know what God knows. We can't think like God thinks, so it comes back to you. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're all responsible. We all have to make that choice. So uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, let's read this scripture out loud. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord 
Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. From the beginning chose you for salvation through the Holy Spirit. Again, look with me at Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. Let's read this one. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So on the one hand, you know, there, there are people that go, well, God already knows, it's already determined, it's all over, so we don't even need to preach the gospel. Everybody's on their own and they'll all figure it out. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus said. On the one hand, it does reveal to us that God knows all things. And based on that foreknowledge, God is chosen and predestined and made, he's ordained. Literally, the word is enrolled, which means your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But the other side, the human side is, we still have to preach. We still have to share the gospel. You have to invite people. And I know that there are family, friends, uh, neighbors, relatives, coworkers that you have, they need the Lord Jesus Christ with all the crazy stuff that is going on. How many of you know somebody that's lost and empty? <laughs> Amen? So let's invite them. Let's say, hey, come. And you don't, here's the, the good word, you don't have to clean them up to get them to come to church. They don't need to change what they think, uh, what they believe, how they look, whatever. Come just as you are. Isn't that the beautiful song that is sung by the choir of the Billy Graham Crusades? Uh, you come just as you are. You come to Jesus with your problems. You come to Jesus with your hangups. You come to him with your questions. You come to him with your doubts. You come to him with all your fears. You come to him with all your anxieties. You just come exactly as you are. And he says, I will accept you. And I will bless you. And I will love you. And if you open your heart to me, I'll forgive you of everything you have ever done. I'll wash you and cleanse you. I've loved you for eternity. I couldn't wait for you to be born. And I've knocked on the door of your heart your entire life that I might be your eternal Lord and Savior. I've made plans for you forevermore to share my glory and my kingdom with you. Come, beloved, into the inheritance that I have prepared for you. Can I hear an amen and hallelujah on that? So let us now go. Invite people, encourage them. Let's see a new move of God and, and a wonderful revival. Okay, so we're gonna close again with verses 50 uh, through 52, and then we'll share in communion. I'll actually go back to verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, so they, they created quite a stir, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. Again, note, persecution 
filled Paul and Barnabas, not with fear, not with discouragement, but with joy. And the church grew. So it says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and they came to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Persecution, actually, they were like excited. It was like, wow, we got persecuted just like Jesus. Anytime you can say, I'm going in the same path as Jesus, would you not say that's a good thing? And the reason they were excited is they knew it's not the people rejecting them, it's the spirit. There's a spirit of the world. And it was confirmation. So the joy of the Lord was their strength. We've got a world that is right now, you know, it's against the church in many ways. But I want you to know this. This is the time to get happy. This is the time to get excited. This is a time for the joy of the Lord to be our strength because it's only a sign that God's preparing a whole new generation of men, women, boys, and girls who are lost and empty, who are yearning to hear a message of hope and love and forgiveness and grace and the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? And we're going to get ready now for communion. And in just a moment... We're going to share in the, in the bread representing the, the broken body of Jesus and then the cup. But I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ tonight. If you're here tonight or if you're listening or you're watching, this is going to be very, very simple. There must come a definite moment in time in your life where you admit you're empty. You admit you're lost. You admit you're not perfect. It's kind of obvious. And that you need healing. You need forgiveness. And you, you want your guilt taken away, your shame removed. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door. I'm going to say a very simple childlike prayer. And I'm telling you, this is the most supernatural thing that will ever happen in your life because it's real. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is here tonight. And he's with you. And if you will pray this prayer simply and honestly with the faith of a child and you say, Lord, I want you to come in my life. I want you to forgive my sins. It's going to literally happen. And you'll discover that your name has been written in a book that Jesus said, this is the most amazing thing that could ever happen in your life, that your name is written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. So if you have never done this, or if you've walked away from the Lord and you're like, I don't know where I am, and then... You want to recommit your life. Uh, those who know the Lord, you can pray with me. You're not getting saved again, but it's a remembrance. Uh, it's a rehearsal of our, of our salvation, and it becomes sweeter, uh, even as our life grows deeper with the Lord. So if that's the desire of your heart, pray with me, pray out loud, and let's pray together after this manner. Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything I've done wrong. 
Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. Now help me follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome into the family of God. You are a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.